Episode 15 Golden Notes and Retiring in Tune. After UJ, our Uncle Jim, moved out of Manor Road, and before our parents' big 50th wedding anniversary, our mother went through menopause. You may have heard of or seen Menopause the Musical. Well, this would be Menopause the Wagnerian Opera. I can still hear some operatic scores embedded with some of Mother's material. She was our drama queen, and at times a tantrum would resound like a high C. <laughs> Unbelievably, our mother had to visit our parish priest to get permission to go on the pill for, dare I say, her female problems. Seriously, after giving birth to 18 children, You cannot make this up. Dear Lord, pun intended. Mother always felt things intensely. Her highs were high and her lows were low. She was known to throw a plate or two. With Mother, sometimes it felt like sink or swim. And when she was sinking, we had a doggy paddle, fast. I remember one time, our sister Claire took Teresa, Bridget, and me to see the home that she and her husband Bob were building in Metamora. Because it was on the way, we decided to stop by Manor Road and say hi to our mother and father. Bad move. First, it was always tricky to just stop by. Mother never wanted us to leave, and we were certainly not on top of our game as it was near dinner time. Mother, All excited, proceeded to quickly add four plates to the dining room table. Claire said, Oh, no, Mother, we cannot stay. We're heading to Metamora. Bob has dinner for us. Well, that did it. Mother snapped. Just wait until you go through menopause and look in the mirror and see a frog. And then the next time, see your face sliding off. So off we skedaddled. The truth is, At this time, that's when mother's rheumatoid arthritis really began to have its ugly way with her. We often wondered if somehow all those pregnancies kept her rheumatoid arthritis at bay. It began to be a chore for her to walk. Oh, sadly, even her daily sonata recital on the piano had to come to an end. I remember taking her to the RA specialist, and they gave her gold shots, steroids, anything and everything they could throw at her, but nothing worked. They even had to cut her wedding rings off her fingers. She endured such pain, brutal, and she never complained. What a Celtic warrior. Well, by the time our parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, they had celebrated scores of family weddings and the joyful birth of 49 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. Our parents' 50th wedding anniversary was a victorious occasion. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Mother would say, I've been going steady with your father for 52 years. She would also jest that the only reason they never considered a divorce was who would take the kids. Obviously, they had their moments, and I do quote mother, divorce, no. Murder, yes.
Our parents did share a great sense of humor. One time, out of the blue, mother's old boyfriend called. Mother went to tell our father, and without a beat, he asked, Did he call collect? With 18 children and innumerable grandchildren, as a byproduct of their obvious passion, celebrating their 50th anniversary was an absolute must. I remember mother giving great advice on choosing a life partner. She said, of course, physical attraction is paramount, but that being intellectually and spiritually compatible is just as important. She said she always found our father interesting. After 50 years, that is quite a compliment. And celebrate we did. Their Jubilee Mass was celebrated at Holy Name Church with several priests presiding. Our pastor, Father Burke, was the main celebrant, and our Uncle Chuddy was the homilist. A reception was held at the beautiful Birmingham Country Club, where our parents wore king and queen crowns. <laughs> How fitting, since we would later give Mother the nickname Queen Mary. And, by the way, our father's nickname was the Silver Fox. As a tribute to our parents, we put together a commemorative 50th anniversary book. Here are some of the entries. Listen to our brother, James Patrick, number four, share what he wrote for their 50th. Memories have swamped me as I have attempted to put into writing what slash how my parents collectively and individually have molded me and thus indirectly and sometimes not so indirectly those with whom I come in contact. What did I learn on Lillibridge, Iroquois, Greenwood, Manor Road? What do I still learn on Warwick? The answer is simple, yet so very complex. Take joy in each day, but curse the darkness as necessary. If you must curse the darkness, do so colorfully and with style. Much is expected of you, but be not afraid to fail. If you fail, you will still be loved, picked up, brushed off, and sent back into the fray. Laughter is only second to love is a necessary ingredient for success, particularly if you can truly laugh at yourself. Make God part of your life. You can be humbled by man instantaneously, and your faith in God is your anchor even in shallow waters. If you are blessed with any talent at all, use it to the fullest. If you don't have talent, you can still join the choir. Make room in your heart and even in your home for those in need, and they surely shall flounder and be lost without generosity of spirit. Love one another as we have loved you without pause, without reservation, without restraint. Be not afraid. God loves you and your family loves you even when you are least deserving. Don't hesitate to get your hands dirty. There is goodness and labor of all kinds, and the many hands working together make the load light. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It can often pass as good music. Surround yourself with good music. Without it, life is not at all as it should be. Be forgiving. 
It not only cleanses your soul, but also clears your mind. You're less than perfect. When you think otherwise, your family will be the first one to let you know. You shall touch many lives. Do so in a positive fashion. Now, listen to our brother Kevin, number 13, reminisce on this special occasion and share thoughts on each of his 17 siblings. As we celebrate mom and dad's 50 years together, many fond memories come to mind. Buying cigarettes for Margaret and keeping the change. John, paying for basketball camp when I was 10. Fishing with Paul in Traverse City. Talking with Jim on the ride back home from Brothers Weekend. Teasing Brian while playing poker. Seeing Kathy's radiant face admiring her family. Ed's tenacity, persistence, and counseling. Cutting lawns and helping with the paper route for Bill. Watching scary movies with Anne. Seeing Patricia work, work, work. Getting advice from Claire. Singing with Chris on the third floor. Singing with Mary at Bridget's wedding. Winning a fight for Joe one hot summer night. Listening to Teresa tell a story. Watching Patrick doing it right. Watching Bridget blossom. Seeing Vanessa happy and singing on my lap. Family life. Eating spaghetti in a big group with my older brothers wiping their faces on my t-shirt. Fishing the Rouge off Manor Road, catching 23 fish in one afternoon with a bent nail, string, and old white bread. Being first to notice ripe cherries, apples, mulberries, and pears in the backyard. Climbing the trees, eating the fruit, and getting the stomach ache. Running around the outside of the house on a hot summer night. Playing basketball with my brothers in the dust, even with Ed. Also with Hank, who took a 50-foot shot, lost the game, and said, I made it once before. Holding my nephews, Jimmy and Johnny, upside down over the clothes chute. Competing for attention at the dinner table. Fran Brown's Christmas stories. Getting tucked into bed. Fishing with Dad alone, drinking beer. My mother's note to me before my wedding. Seeing Mom and Dad kiss and hug every day of my life. If everyone gave the love Mom and Dad gave us, certainly the world would change. And our cousin Ann Callahan Allen, our Uncle Teddy's oldest daughter. A bit of wisdom from my Aunt Mary. I want to relate a short bit of wisdom Aunt Mary left me with when she visited me after the birth of my oldest, Katie Callahan Allen. Mary was in a swiggo at the time. And after a 17-hour labor, I was, like most new mothers, very glad that the whole thing was over. Aunt Mary happened to be in the hospital because she had come to visit my uncle, Father Jim. Uh, he was then in the hospital on extended care. And when she stopped to see me, I said, you know, Aunt Mary, I don't know how you were able to do that 18 times. She corrected me immediately. 
17, she said, and they don't call it labor for nothing. I can't think of a more appropriate comment on giving birth, and I have told that story many times. Anne Callahan Allen. And now she narrates what her mother, our Aunt Margaret, shared. Interior and exterior decorating. We never worried about what to do to entertain ourselves when Jack and Mary came to Oswego to visit because Mary would regale us for hours with stories about their adventures with their ever-growing family. There were so many, too many to remember well, but two stand out. The first was about the time Mary, despairing over what to do about a partially worn carpet, called an interior decorator helpline that was listed in one of the Detroit papers. Her problem, she explained, was how to cover the damaged portion of the carpet without having to replace the entire piece. She answered several pertinent questions from the decorator, the last of which was, how much traffic does the carpet get? Do you have many children? Mary answered, 12 or 14, I don't remember exactly how many she and Jack had then. There was a few minutes of silence. And then the decorator's answer came. Have you, she asked, considered sawdust? Another time, we were enjoying a vacation in Blue Mountain Lake in the Adirondacks. There was a very she-she women's clothing store in town. And so Mary and I went in to look. The clothes were beautiful, very stylish, and very expensive. Can I help you, the clerk asked. Are you looking for something for a particular occasion? Yes, Mary answered right away. What do you have for shopping at the A&P? One vivid memory stands out. When our parents got up and gave remarks, our mother, being her usual charming and loquacious self, introduced each of her children, sharing an endearing story about each of us. Our father, who was much more reserved and not as comfortable in front of a large crowd, got in front of the mic and said, Uh, well, Mary never had a headache. That was not a highlight for our mother. Yes, but when interviewed and asked about our mother, our father remarked, She had a beautiful voice. Mother had so many boyfriends you wouldn't believe. I, I never thought she'd tumble for me, <laughs> but she did. Thank God. <laughs> we are all certainly grateful Mother did take a tumble with our father. In her autobiography, our mother talked about falling in love with our father. She wrote, I have dated Jack Callahan for over a year and was deeply in love with him. I kept complaining to my parents, he's perfect, perfect, perfect. My parents' eyes would roll in their heads, oh, really, in what way? I didn't answer, but reflected on my reasons why. I liked his brains, his ambition, his faith, his dreams, his work plans for me. He was such a handsome boy, but that was never my criteria. I always looked for a sense of character. Well, yes, except Mother did always say that she was crazy about our father's curly hair. What an incredible journey our parents had. Five years after their 50th, 
they faced a significant transition. Earlier in his career, a cruel challenge our father had to face was slowly but surely losing his hearing. When our Uncle Chuddy was stationed at Arch Street in Boston, he was also dealing with hearing loss. So he went to Albany, New York to see Dr. Cup, a renowned ear specialist. It was such a success for our Uncle Chuddy that our parents decided to also seek help from him. So in 1953, they traveled to Albany. And the surgeon thought, yeah, my father would be an excellent candidate for the surgery. The doctor said our father's really bad ear was infected, so he operated on the other one. Dad wasn't moving much in the recovery room, and thinking that all was good, Mother left. Well, what she didn't know was that our father had a horrific reaction to the anesthetic and threw up all night long. His roommate said no one came to help him. It was a horrible disaster. Whatever possible help that was done was nixed. Mother did say that she learned an invaluable lesson. Never leave a patient in a strange hospital in a strange city overnight, unattended. Always, always have an advocate. Well, our father could hardly walk straight when he was discharged. The surgeon was so disappointed, and our parents went home beyond discouraged. Our father journeyed on. He was the glee club director at Brother Rice High School from 1963 until he retired there in 1974. Let's listen to our father reminisce about the Brother Rice Glee Club, and then we will listen to a glee club member's memories. Uh, actually, when I started, we went through, I think, the whole school. I tested everybody's voice. And if they could carry a tune, really well they were in whether they wanted or not the brothers backed me up <laughs> but we did a, a lot of show stuff that, that they enjoyed you know like uh, my fair lady medley and uh, things of that type but we also did some high class stuff that they didn't buy right off the bat but they got the light there's an American composer, I don't know if you're familiar with, Randall Thompson. And he made settings of some of Robert Frost's poetry. Mm. Beautiful. For male voices. Mm. We did some of those. And they liked that. And then he had a work called Testimony of Freedom. Randall Thompson again. And I went for that, too. So I had a freshman group. And then I had the... Uh, senior call, which was 10, 11, and 12. A freshman were good feeder into the next year, you know. That's a good, good choral group. And I'd find a couple of guys good to company, you know. Well, I was free to direct. Gleeful Respect. Among the fondest memories of my youth were the four years I spent at Brother Ice High School in Birmingham. I was of the conviction that singing in the shower was one thing. Singing in front of people, however, was something altogether different. I was of that conviction until I met a man who perhaps influenced my future life more than any other instructor at Brother Ice. I never thought of this until recently, 
But had I not met John Callahan Sr. when I did, my life would be significantly different today. You see, it was John Callahan who taught a 13-year-old boy that not only was it okay to sing in front of people, but also that doing so could be great fun. It's okay even to sing songs like Sing Song Kitty Can't You Kaimio and Old Dan Tucker Was a Mighty Man and other songs whose lyrics are still kept fondly in my memory. God gave a person a singing voice. It was a blessing to be shared. When I was told this by Mr. Callahan at age 13, I believed it, and I believe it today. But coming from Mr. Callahan, it was the most believable. There were many reasons for this, not the least of which was the immense respect he commanded without shouting or threatening or dispensing jugs, which were detentions, the way coaches dispensed laps. The general made young boys at Brother Ice Glee Club measure up to their abilities, even beyond. Oh, we had our laughs and our fun changing more than one lyric during rehearsal, and we made it known that no one was overly thrilled with the mustard-colored Glee Club jackets. They must have come from some closeout sale. But when it came to singing for an audience, we were proud of the discipline and instruction he shared with us. While not always perfect, we were always proud. I'm not alone in the appreciation felt for John Callahan. While teaching us to sing in harmony, he taught us to appreciate music and the arts. He taught us that teamwork and cooperation pay off. He taught us that standing up in front of a crowd of our peers and singing was not embarrassing, but ultimately invigorating. Perhaps more than anything else, he taught us that being a man is more than one-dimensional. He did this by taking freshman eggheads and track stars and yearbook writers and football players and introverts and teaching them to be singers. While John Callahan has become many things to me in the years since then, including father-in-law, it will perhaps be these memories I will treasure most. He also took us on a field trip to Brother Ice High School in Chicago, where our glee club sang for their student body. My only comment on that trip has been echoed by many. Thank God he teaches singing and not driving. In gratitude for the memories, I will always remain. Our father was a professor of music at Marygrove College, where he taught organ and music theory from 1948 until he retired from there in 1981. Let's listen to our father talk about Marygrove. I like the tune. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful organ there. And then for a while I taught uh, harmony and counterpoint and history of music and that sort of stuff, you know. But towards the end it was just organ and piano. Mm. Mostly organ. It was a good connection. Let's listen to our father speak about how he became an organist. I think it was because I not only served, but I was a choir boy in our parish choir. We had men and boys, you know, and I liked the, the choral work and the liturgy. And then we had a magnificent four manual organ that uh, really impressed me, you know. I couldn't wait to get my hands on it as I grew up, you know. So I started taking organ lessons, and that got me into it. That's all I wanted to do. Now, let's listen to our mother remark about 
our father's early days as an organist. Well, we had a great t- tradition in our town. The organists all came from Belgium. They were re- renowned and revered musicians. And it was an extraordinarily beautiful organ, Michael. You would have loved it. Mm. He practiced a lot when we were first married, like six hours a day. It's a lot. <laughs> but he was working on his bachelor's, and, and then he got, he was a, voted the most outstanding student at the university and was on full scholarship for his master's. So, our father was the director of music at Holy Name Church from 1957 until 1993. A monumental event was when our father retired on September 26, 1993, at the age of 77. This is after being a professional church musician for 62 years and at Holy Name for the last 36. He didn't need to retire because of health issues. He was really healthy. But... It was the handicap of severe hearing loss. A cruel joke to have a fabulous musician relegated to mostly hear his music in his mind. It was an ending for him, but also for us. Our father was a workhorse, and he never complained. I remember my mother saying, The thing about your father is that he revels in his work. It reminds me of the adage, How blessed when one loves what he does and does what he loves. Not many can say that. It was always a calling, a ministry for our father. At the retirement choir rehearsal, I remember our sister Bridget and I trying to hold back the tears. It somehow felt that his ministry was our ministry, his identity somehow ours. It just felt like a huge loss. Our brother Edward, number seven, remembers being a choir boy in our father's choir. But the one constant was whether it's St. Bernard's or St. Catherine's or Holy Name, it was all, you had an obligation to sing in Dad's choir, you had to be there on time. His definition of being on time was being there early. That was his definition of being on time. And now, Edward shares memories of priests who were like family. Father Brits and Father Coppola would come for dinner. Uh, Father Trutzba would come for lunch or for dinner. Uh, you know, mom and dad were always very close to, uh, well, uh, dad's occupation related to uh, being an organist and choir master. And not only that, you also add Marygrove College, where Father Kowalski was a professor there for many years. And that's how they really began uh, that relationship. And they had a lot of in common with uh, Father Kowalski, who liked uh, opera and music, and uh, who was so instrumental in helping uh, the family. And of course, they were very tight with Monsignor Bass. And we were very supportive of Bass uh, when he became a priest in, in his first Mass in Holy Name. So they were, you know, Father Burke, you know, my dad was very close to Father Burke. But not to say the least of Bishop Harrington. Uh, I mean, how take can you get? Yeah, so, you know, Bishop Harrington, uh, their network of priests was uh, significant. Our brother Christopher, number 12, shares a choir boy memory. One of my favorite, most favorite memories uh, was when Dad arranged for the Holy Name Choir to combine with other church choirs at various churches in Detroit. But combining these choirs was just, it was 
incredible. Our brother Joseph, number 15, shares his choir boy memories. Dad was a hell of a boy choir conductor. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not easy. Mm-hmm. We did some difficult stuff. Um, I remember, um, you know, Christ laying the bonds of death, doing the soprano and alto parts as I got older uh, in the boys choir. And we were always singing really good music. Mm-hmm. And I didn't appreciate it at the time, of course. In fact, I thought it was a burden. Um, and my memory of it now is, is that, that we did some outstanding mm-hmm. music, boy choir music. An article in the Michigan Catholic on October 1st, 1993, stated that an era had ended at Holy Name Parish where John Callahan was stepping down after 36 years. According to Father Robert Burke, our pastor at Holy Name, he says, Mr. Callahan is more than a Christian musician. He's a whole way of life. He represents excellence and musical dedication to the church. You hear good music at other places, but his music is not just a performance, but a spiritual event. He continued, he will be sorely missed, and his absence behind the organ will be a noticeable one. He can't be replaced. One cannot combine all the qualities of a more outstanding, generous, responsive, and effective individual to lead the choir. Now, here's an excerpt from a letter our father received from Archbishop Cardinal Maida. Because of your many years of outstanding service and because of the wonderful family which God has blessed you and your wife, the Callahan name has become legendary in the Detroit metropolitan area. Especially among Catholic circles, your name is always invoked as one of a premier organist of the Archdiocese. Holy Name Parish and our church in Detroit have truly been blessed by your faithful service, a faithful husband for 55 years, and a loving father for 18 very beautiful children. All this, together with decades of musical service for the church, what a record of commitment and service. You have been a wonderful steward of God's many blessings. You have helped generations of people to know and experience of quality worship of the Lord. Please know that all the years of service that you have offered to God and to the Church will continue to resonate in the minds and hearts of many people for years and years to come. One day, may we all be one with the Lord singing His praise in the heavenly kingdom. This is an excerpt from a letter that John Mayer, a choir member, wrote to our father on his retirement. Dear John, may I take this opportunity to wish you and Mary many happy and rewarding years in retirement. Your musical talent and dedication over the years have provided us choir members with a remarkably rewarding opportunity to serve God through music and have a good time doing it. Personally, I will never forget the many wonderful hours of rehearsal and singing in church and the fun atmosphere provided in good measure by your sons and daughters. It's been a blast. Best of luck to you, sir. And here is a short but sweet letter from another choir member, Audra Hendrickson. Dear Mr. Callahan, I'm so sorry to learn that you are leaving your post at Holy Name. I will miss you more than I can say. You are a special, wonderful soul and a blessing to everyone whose life you have enriched with your great music. And now, our father talks about retiring. 
And I wouldn't have if I could hear. But it's been true just so much with impaired hearing. Because my health has been good, you know. But it was providential. I quit when I did. And I think younger people should have a chance to do their thing. That's one nice thing. For the first time in our married life, Mary and I sit together. You know, at church. And I always said to the choir, to the, um, when we'd have a party, you know, where the wives of the men had come, or the husbands of the ladies had come, how much I appreciated them letting their spouses every Sunday come up and sing with the choir while they had to sit by themselves. Mm -hmm. Some of them didn't like that, you know, sitting by themselves. It's a real uh, self-denial. As a farewell, there was a special concert with our father playing the organ and the Holy Name Choir singing under his mighty direction. Let's listen to an excerpt from Go Not Far From Me. never forget that at our final choir rehearsal right before the celebration, our father asked us to sing the Lord's Prayer to ensure that all would go well. Before I go in and set up the organ, how about uh, standing and singing our Lord's Prayer that everything goes well? <laughs> 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 Several of our parents' closest friends spoke at his retirement celebration. Here are Father Burke's comments. I think when you meet John and you see the quality of his work and his, you kind of feel his dedication and devotion, you know, you just, you feel it in the man. It's like meeting somebody who's very special, like meeting the Pope, really. Um, and he's, um, you can tell that he's really steeped in the liturgy and in music. And he really tries very hard to do the right thing. Uh, he's the kind of person who uh, demands very little and gives a great deal. Father Burke loved to tell the story about that although our father was very respectful, he was firm. Our father approached Father Burke and said, I need some of your altar boys. Altar boys only need to carry a candle. Choir boys need to carry a tune. <laughs> oh, he also, he would say, do you know why I want to be a Callahan? Because Callahans have more fun. And here's Father Worm, who as a young boy took organ lessons from our father. 
John is a wonderful Irish mystical Catholic who helps us to sense the spirituality that we need so well today and we need so much. And Bishop Harrington, our father's unabashedly absolute favorite. I became pastor of Saint uh, of Holy Name in 1971, and so uh, in John's stay here at Holy Name, he served with three pastors: Monsignor Paddock, myself, and Father Burke. And so I'm the in-between pastor. I'm the one who can tell probably the stories from both sides of the situation. And I think the uh, story I shared with everyone earlier today was the uh, you heard about all of John's great qualities, his. Uh, his background, his liturgical expertise, his own personal spirituality, his own faith life. But Monsignor Paddock had a whole different criteria on what an organist should be. And he had three criteria. And John fit all three criteria. And the criteria that Monsignor Paddock looked for when he had an organist was to be on time, on time, on time. <laughs> and in those days, John, as he is today, was always faithful and was always on time. I think Many a time people had to wait for a priest to come to Mass, but we never had to wait for the organist to be at Mass. <laughs> Anytime you have an 18 children, you have an exceptional family. I always keep telling many people when I talk about the Callahans that uh, not only do they have 18 children, but all went to college. I think that there is something uh, in, the, in the sense of true stewardship. I know what John got paid, and I know that there is no way in God's heaven anyone else could raise a family uh, on that kind of a salary, and yet God provided uh, in opportunities and in benefits and other kinds of ways. John is a living example. John and Mary are living examples of stewardship. And finally, himself, Uncle Chuddy, Father Pat. The priesthood of the laity, you know, that's a phrase that a lot of people don't quite understand, but there is a priesthood of the laity. And I was just trying to, to show that, that John, although he wasn't ordained uh, as I was, uh, still as a layman, as a priest, and the woman that he loved and married, we, we call her a, a priestess. And uh, that's how his life began in the priesthood. Well, he may be retired, but uh, uh, he still, I would say, he perhaps is the most outstanding organist in this archdiocese. In fact, uh, the archbishop in his letter to him mentioned that fact, that he was a premier uh, organist at the whole archdiocese. Everybody knows that. And uh, he's not finished in the sense that, uh, you know, he can no longer play. Because unfortunately, what caused him to retire is that he's getting terribly deaf, and he knows that. Uh, and that's when he said it's time to get off the bench. But uh, he may be deaf, but my God, he can make the organ talk. Let's listen to our father's postlude from his retirement celebration.
Ever the champion, after retiring, our father stayed in the game and, with his usual vigor, continued to play funerals and weddings. During Michigan's brutal winter times, retirement did afford our parents a two-week vacay in Florida. And our father even gave an epic organ recital at 89 years old. He absolutely dominated. His program was so ambitious and his performance so intense that when his face turned bright red during it, I seriously was terrified that he might stroke out. Now, let's listen to an excerpt from that infamous recital, My 89-Year-Old Father. episode, There is a Balm in Gilead. We will reflect upon our mother's life, her death, and her funeral.